Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called The Absence of God's Presence, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther, and Psalm 46. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, November the 25th, 2007. Was Mother Teresa a spiritual fraud? Maybe even a closet atheist? Those unlikely questions have dogged her book of private correspondence called Come Be My Light, published this past fall. In numerous letters which she repeatedly begged her superiors to destroy, Mother Teresa describes her experiences of profound spiritual darkness that haunted her for 50 years. She admits that she didn't practice what she preached. She laments the stark contrast between her exterior demeanor and her interior desolation. Listen to her own words. My smile is a big cloak which covers a multitude of pains. My cheerfulness is a cloak by which I cover the emptiness and misery. I deceive people with this weapon." End quote. Mother Teresa describes the absence of God's presence in various ways, in emptiness, loneliness, pain, spiritual dryness, or lack of consolation. Quote, There's so much contradiction in my soul, no faith, no love, no zeal. I find no words to express the depths of the darkness. My heart is so empty, so full of darkness. I don't pray any longer. The work holds no joy, no attraction, no zeal. I have no faith. I don't believe." End quote. She even rebukes herself as what she calls a quote-unquote shameless hypocrite for teaching her sisters one thing while experiencing something far different. And so David Van Bema of Time Magazine calls this disparity between Mother Teresa's private and public worlds a startling portrait in self-contradiction. But that's nothing compared to the zealous atheist Christopher Hitchens, who wrote the book God is Not Great, He's a columnist with Vanity Fair. In Hitchens' review of Come Be My Light in Newsweek magazine, he argues that Mother Teresa's faith caused her desolation, that her struggles were, quote, the inevitable result of a dogma that asks people to believe impossible things and then makes them feel abject and guilty when their innate reason rebels, end quote. Which is more striking, asks Hitchens, quote, that the faithful should bravely confront the fact that one of their heroines has all but lost her own faith, or that the church should have gone on deploying as an icon of favorable publicity a confused old lady whom it knew had, for all practical purposes, ceased to believe, end quote. Despite these headlines, Mother Teresa's darkness was hardly unique in Christian thinking, 
or in Christian experience. The Gospel this week from Luke chapter 1, 68 to 79 and chapter 23 remind us that Jesus endured a grotesque Roman execution between two criminals. With his last gasping breaths, he screamed, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The loitering soldiers, their dirty work done, sneered, indulged themselves in sadistic torture, spat upon their victim, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. He saved others, let him save himself. Luke 23, 35. Then they rolled the dice to divvy up his filthy clothes. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5, how he was, quote, harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears on the inside. With disarming candor, brutal realism, unqualified empathy, and wry humor, the early desert monastics describe how in the expansive solitude of the Egyptian desert, they discovered a cacophony of voices in the interior geography of the human heart. They dreaded what they called the noonday demon of Asadia, which is a palpable anxiety that suggests parallels to clinical depression. And so St. Macarius of Egypt in the 5th century remarked, I'm convinced that not even the apostles, although filled with the Holy Spirit, were therefore completely free from anxiety. Contrary to the stupid opinion expressed by some, the advent of grace does not mean the immediate deliverance from anxiety. End quote. A thousand years later, in the 16th century, the Spanish mystic John of the Cross made famous a phrase that has passed into our everyday vocabulary, the dark night of the soul. And then later, the 19th century French Carmelite Teresa of Lisieux once told her fellow nuns, quote, if you only knew what darkness I am plunged into, end quote. She compared her spiritual desolations to a dark tunnel. Still others have drawn parallels between the experiences of Mother Teresa and Martin Luther. Luther used the German word Anfechtungen to describe his chronic interior struggles with God. Scholars struggle to evoke the rich complexity of the word Anfechtungen. It's a word that's hard to translate, but easy to appreciate. Unfectungen precipitated what the historian Martin Marty calls a so-called delicious despair, a crisis of certainty for which the believer could only cast himself upon the mercy of God. Marty hangs his whole biography of Luther on this one word, quote, God present and God absent. God too near and God too far, the God of wrath and the God of love, God weak and God almighty, God real and God is illusion, God hidden and God revealed, end quote.
Anfechtungen, says Marty, are the spiritual assaults that Luther said kept people from finding certainty in a loving God. Luther found great solace in the psalm for this week, Psalm 46. Some have even called it his favorite psalm. The ancient poem begins with metaphorical descriptions of global cataclysms, the earth giving way, mountains crumbling into the sea, waters that roar and foam. On the political front, he describes, nations are in an uproar, kingdoms fall. Nevertheless, says the psalmist, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He advises us to be still and know that I am God. For this is a God who, quote, makes wars to cease, breaks the bow, shatters the spear, and burns the shields. In 1527, the deepest year of Luther's depression, Psalm 46 inspired him to write the classic hymn, A Mighty Fortress. In 1853, it was translated from the German by Frederick Hedge. Listen to the words. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Don't ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth his name, from age to age the same and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. For Luther, believers shouldn't imagine that they will be spared the flood of mortal ills prevailing. We can, though, experience a deep security in the words of Psalm 46, that however much the earth shakes, a more powerful God is with us and for us, wherever we find ourselves. We rest in the knowledge not that the darkness will always turn to dawn, Mother Teresa's dark night lasted 50 years. 
but in the confidence that God in Christ says to us, as Luther put it, I am more certain to you than your own heart and conscience. And now for further reflection, I'd like to recommend a book. It's reviewed on our site by Catherine Green McCrae. The title is called Darkness is My Only Companion, A Christian Response to Mental Illness. And then meditate on George Herbert's poem, the title of which is Affliction 4. It too is posted on our website. It's a poignant confession of Herbert's inner struggles. Listen to his poem, Affliction 4. Broken in pieces all asunder, Lord, hunt me not, a thing forgot, Once a poor creature, now a wonder, A wonder tortured in the space Between this world and that of grace. My thoughts are all a case of knives, wounding my heart with scattered smart, as watering pots give flowers their lives, nothing their fury can control, while they do wound and prick my soul. All my attendants are at strife, quitting their place unto my face, nothing performs the task of life. The elements are let loose to fight, and while I live, try out their right. O oh, help, my God, let not their plot kill them and me, and also thee who art my life. Dissolve the knot, as the sun scatters by his light all the rebellions of the night. Then shall those powers which work for grief Enter thy pay, and day by day labor thy praise in my relief, with care and courage building me, till I reach heaven, and much more, thee. George Herbert's poem, Affliction 4. For books this week, I review Mother Teresa's book that was just mentioned, the title of which is Mother Teresa, Come Be My Light, The Private Writings of the Saint of Calcutta. New York, Doubleday, 2007, 404 pages. When the desert monastics of 4th century Egypt fled the bustle and business of the cities in order to survey the geography of the human heart, they discovered that the outward journey in the noisy world was a whole lot easier than the interior journey of the soul in the desert solitude. Without exception, they recommended the sage advice of St. Anthony, Anthony the Great, who died in the year 356. St. Anthony said, Expect trials until your last breath. To the shock and dismay of many admirers, in the criticisms of some detractors. This book of Mother Teresa's private correspondence shows that she was no exception to the monastic rule. Published to coincide with the 10th anniversary of her death, she died in 1997, 
Letter after letter documents the deep darkness that plagued her for 50 years. Mother Teresa describes her interior struggle in many ways, but most of all as an absence of God's presence. There's so much contradiction in my soul. No faith, no love, no zeal. I find no words to express the depths of the darkness. My heart is so empty, so full of darkness. I don't pray any longer. The work holds no joy, no attraction, no zeal. I have no faith. I don't believe. My smile is a big cloak which covers a multitude of pains. My cheerfulness is a cloak by which I cover the emptiness in misery. I deceive people with this weapon. And yes, time and again she admitted to her confessors that she felt like a shameless hypocrite by teaching and preaching one thing, but experiencing something far different. But Mother Teresa was never bereft of an intense longing for God. And this was an important telltale clue. Along with her confessors, she explored the possible reasons or explanations for her interior desolation. Maybe it was punishment for sin, a trial to purify her, a temptation of Satan, or a consequence of her hasty personality and physical fatigue. Eventually, she determined that her darkness was not an obstacle to her call from God, to serve the poorest of the poor, but instead part and parcel of that call. In her darkness, she identified more fully with the poor and shared in the sufferings of Christ himself. Non-Catholic readers will be mystified by some of the jargon in this book. When she left Loretto after being a teacher for 20 years, should Mother Teresa have sought a so-called indult of secularization, in other words, to be freed from her vows, or what was called an exclaustration, in other words, to leave Loretto but keep her vows? Many who place a premium upon the inviolability of personal conscience will take exception to her spirituality that calls for obedience that is, quote, cheerful, prompt, simple, and blind. Mother Teresa practiced this herself, and she expected it of her sisters. Most irritating of all, though, were the editorial comments by Brian Kolodichuk, the effects of which felt like a sales job or promotional piece for canonization as a saint. Mother Teresa's wisdom is unfailingly profound, her zeal outstanding, her integrity remarkable. This has the unintended but tragic consequence of removing Mother Teresa from the realm of everyday mortals who struggle as Christians with their own sense of darkness and who might have received genuine consolations from the saint of Calcutta and elevating her to the heroic realm of unattainable virtue. And finally, there's an interesting ethical issue raised by her private correspondence. Mother Teresa repeatedly begged that these private letters be destroyed. But the Catholic Church overruled that request, and I suspect that as a result, 
many Christians will benefit. Mother Teresa, come be my light. For film this week, I review the Jane Austen Book Club from the year 2007. When a single guy and five women of very different ages and stages form a book club to discuss Jane Austen's six novels, their messy lives begin to imitate the art they're reading. The movie has six segments, each one named after one of the novels. With each turn of the kaleidoscope, this film takes on the character of a soap opera. Everyone has problems with love and marriage, too many sagas are treated too superficially, and little more than snappy verbal jousting moves the pictures forward. And, like a soap opera, neither real life nor Austen's novels enjoy the syrupy resolution of this film. My hunch is that a woman who has married six times is not a candidate for bliss on the seventh try. That a young teacher who hits on her high school student will not rebound so quickly. Or that a 20-year marriage that ends in acrimony will probably not U-turn into one of affection after the husband, of all people, reads a Jane Austen novel. If that's too critical, then enjoy this fluffy film as a fun romantic comedy that includes a reminder about the real problems that we all have with the game of love. The Jane Austen Book Club And finally, as we near the time of Advent, we've posted an Advent credo by the Catholic priest Daniel Berrigan. Daniel Berrigan was born in 1921. Listen to his Advent Credo. It is not true that creation and the human family are doomed to destruction and loss. This is true. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It is not true that we must accept inhumanity and discrimination, hunger and poverty, death and destruction. This is true. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. It is not true that violence and hatred should have the last word and that war and destruction rule forever. This is true. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting, the Prince of Peace. It is not true that we are simply victims of the powers of evil who seek to rule the world. This is true. To me is given authority in heaven and on earth. In lo, I am with you even until the end of the world. It is not true that we have to wait for those who are specially gifted, who are the prophets of the church, before we can be peacemakers. This is true. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall have dreams.
It is not true that our hopes for liberation of humankind, of justice, of human dignity, of peace, are not meant for this earth and for this history. This is true. The hour comes, and it is now, that the true worshipers shall worship God in spirit and in truth. So let us enter Advent in hope, even hope against hope. Let us see visions of love and peace and justice. Let us affirm with humility, with joy, with courage, Jesus Christ, the life of the world. Advent Credo by Daniel Berrigan Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, November 25th, 2007. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.